when we consider the purpose of our practice living here in the monastery it's always useful to come back to the word bhikkhu as a bhikkhu we are one who sees the danger in samsara the purpose of the holy life is to free ourselves from samsara free ourselves from that which is dangerous or harmful So Nibbāna is the highest happiness, the highest peace, is the freedom from samsāra. And samsāra, in practical terms, is the world. Freedom from the world. But we're still living in the world, so what does freedom from the world mean? Perhaps we might say it means freedom from attachment or grasping at the world. How do we grasp or attach to the world? It's through grasping attaching to the the five candors, this body and this mind. This is the world, this is samsara for us, where it manifests, where we find it. And these candors, the upadana candors, they're basis for attachment is what we identify with what the jitta identifies with attaches to clings to and then this clinging causes us suffering and binds us to the world to samsara and the heart of the holy life the, at the core the essence of the holy life is Developing nekama parami, sense of renunciation, giving up, even giving away. The renunciation of sensuality in the way we are bound to the world, to samsara, through the senses and sensuality. And the way we're bound to the kendas, this body and mind. We're renouncing sensuality, giving it up, giving it away. And when we first come into the bhikkhu life, or the practice that's often 
brings up a little bit of nervousness, uncertainty in the mind. Because we're so used to the opposite of uh, following sensuality, indulging sensuality. And it seems like renunciation is going to mean some pain or difficulty. And it would be dishonest to say that's not true. There is some suffering involved with renunciation. With the bhikkhu life, especially in the beginning, there's some suffering. However, we also have to understand, well, why are we practicing renunciation, nekama? Obviously, because the fruits that come, the results of it, make it worthwhile. And the happiness that comes through the practice of renunciation, the development of the path, the development of the bhikkhu life, and makes it worth it. We're giving up one thing, but we're gaining a higher happiness, a higher peace, something better. And we have to get that understanding correct in our mind, especially at the beginning of the practice, to help support the arising of all the other paramis, to support the nekama. Have the patience, the endurance to bear with any difficulties or suffering in the practice and to gain the energy, the wiriya, and so on. So we're practicing renunciation of sensuality and particularly renunciation of the attachment to these khandhas. As we practice, we come to see the khandhas are just the khandhas. The body is just the body, mind is just the mind. They are what they are. But what we're giving up is the attachment, the grasping through ignorance of the khandhas. So our path is developing that skill, that ability to see where we grasp, why we grasp, the harm of the grasping and then the way to abandon that grasping. Nekama is also often synonymous with Samadhi, meditation. As the practice of bhavana, development of samadhi, we're learning to give up the attachments to the senses and the distractions of the, dis- of the senses, the likes and the dislikes that come through our senses. But again, we have to develop a wise attitude to nekama as we practice meditation. 
obviously we can't give up everything just like that. Very few people can. Only somebody who's really developed the barometer to that point, they can just, through very fairly little effort, give up attachment. We have to work at it, and we have to work at it in a skillful way, in a wise way. We have to get to know our character. And some people's character is conducive to dropping things very quickly. They have the strength of mind, the mental discipline, the determination to just drop things, drop various attachments which they see as confuse, causing confusion and suffering. Using their mind they can drop very quickly. Like some people can give up an addiction. So there's a comparison, say, smoking cigarettes can give up. They may just make a firm resolution and they give up and they can hold to that. Maybe just give up for the rest of their lives, just finish, do away with it. Other people, they can't do that. It's just far too, puts too much stress on their mind. So others have to use more wisdom in their practice of nekama, and they may be reduced first rather than just drop everything or try to abandon everything in one go. They may be reduced the amount of sensuality in the practice of nekama maybe reduce the amount of cigarettes before finally giving up. They take on what they can manage and keep reflecting on the harm of the cigarettes until they're ready to finally give up. They use wisdom in that way. So here we see the two strands of meditation, the practice of samatha or calm, where actually bringing the mind to one-pointedness where it drops everything, it gives up everything other than its own object. And the strand of wisdom, panya, vipassana, using insight. And there are those practitioners that develop very strong samatha practice to the point where insight doesn't have to work very hard. They can almost separate the mind from its attachments through the power of strong samadhi and then just a little bit of contemplation. Others, and perhaps more commonly these days, have to rely more on wisdom and to keep contemplating wisely, reflecting on the harm of attachment, of sensuality, of attachment to the candors. And with uh, that wise reflection, bringing the mind to peace, so they attain some samadhi, and then they carry on reflecting. And little by little they eke away, they work through their attachments and develop the, the nekama to perfection. By the way, we use the two qualities of samatha and vipassana, calm and insight, as we develop nekama. 
already even before we meditate we're developing nekamas we come into the monastery and we're giving up a lot we're giving up the worldly life so the, the household life of accumulating possessions and money and wealth and experiences we're giving up a lot of craving so that at first there's a lot of patience to deal with that we, the mind doesn't necessarily give up so easily even though physically we've removed ourselves from the objects of much of our craving by coming into a monastery but mentally there's still the craving there so we have to be very patient with that but we're practicing giving up particularly craving for sensuality the experiences of the, the world that come with having material possessions and wealth and family and social ties and so on we're giving that away giving that up so we come into the monastery often our experience gradually changes as there's less to feed craving we have less material things to get involved with then the mind settles more onto particularly views and opinions, more mental and material things perhaps. And the Buddha said, the, the uh, attachments of, of bhikkhus tend to come out more with their attachment to views because we don't have so much material so many material possessions around us to get caught into and then the mind goes to views there's views and opinions about practice about ourselves about teachers techniques of practice places of practice and so on so as we practice in the beginning we're also learning to give up views and opinions our attachment to them another kind of nekama giving up, giving away views and opinions in an, as a way to bring the mind to peace, to tame it, bring it more under our control with the practice of mindfulness and wise reflection. We're giving up and giving away the aversion and anger that's often fed by views, supported by views and we see how if we have uh, if we do get caught into anger or disagreements with other people or just dissatisfaction with life often it's fed by views and opinions on things if you keep focusing the mind holding on to a particular view about the way the practice should be, about the way the monastery should be the way oneself, one's own practice should be. You keep focusing on that. Well, it can be very a great cause for aversion to arise, dissatisfaction. When we recognize that, we start developing nekama, where we maybe are just giving up, giving away that view as a way to free ourselves from aversion. We're no longer focusing or holding on to that view so much even though that view might in one sense be correct 
some of our views, our ideals are correct on one on the one hand, but when we grasp at them, they are a cause for dissatisfaction and discontent in the mind. Maybe comparing one place and another, one experience and another, one person and another, and so on. So we can practice nekama with our views, give them up, give them away. Nekama with our anger, irritation, you can give it up, give it away. It's a kind of dana, just giving it away. We know the view, the opinion, we recognize it, acknowledge it, but we give it away, we don't hold on to it. So there's no conflict in the mind, there's no source of dissatisfaction, discontent. No arguments in the mind, no arguments with other people. We give it away as a kind of dana. And then more deep down perhaps is the, the sensuality based on attachment to this body, the mind, the senses the pleasure and pain that come with the senses in the heart of Nekama, the heart of the development of calm and insight the learning to abandon the likes and the dislikes that we get caught into with, with all our sense the sense objects we have and the pleasure and pain of this body recognizing that in its most strongest form is a sexual desire the pleasure of sexual desire and all the, the sensuality based around that. The desire for our own form, the physical form, the way it looks, the way it feels, how we relate to it, and then the form of others, how they look. Sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. This is the heart of our practice of Nekama, is turning away from the blind attachment, the unskillful, unwise attachment to this body and seeing it as a source of pleasure and then seeing it as something to cling on to as a source of pleasure. So learning to contemplate the body this physical body made up of the 32 parts, the four elements, to, to see it in its true light, its true nature, that it is something that's bound to decline and degenerate. Our body, the body of others. It's not a, any kind of lasting seat of happiness. In the beginning of the practice of Nekama, maybe we just practice sense restraint, Indriya Sangwara. is learning not to stimulate more attachment, more delusion about the body. So it might be particularly the way we relate to others and particularly the opposite sex. The Indriya Sangwara, being careful how you use your eyes. This is feeding sensuality isn't it if we keep looking with lust it will, and, and uh, objects that give rise to lust unmindfully well lust will arise and sensuality is sustained the delusions are sustained
So sometimes nekama is simply just turning away, not looking, not listening to the sound, sound of the opposite sex or or anything that alludes to that. So it could be even say other things like music can support sensuality, support unmindful states of mind where the mind becomes caught up into the pleasure of sound. Obviously imagination internally based on previous sense contact, perceptions, perceptions of beauty, beauty of form, sound, touch. Indriya Sangwara being careful guarding over the senses so that they, we don't let the mind wander to that which will give rise to more sensuality, more attachment, more lust. You know, as we practice meditation, deepen the uh, practice of mindfulness using the, mo- the meditation object, Anapanasati, say, tends to internalize. First of all, we externally we practice sense restraint, and then internally the sense restraint, based on memories and the mental proliferation, we start to practice Nekama there. And this is working with, say, the sanya kanda, waitana kanda, sanya kanda, sankara kanda, the internal mental kandas. Giving them up, as in giving up the tendency towards sensuality in the mind, giving it away. There is enjoyment in these things, there is pleasure in these things, but one is giving it up, giving it away aiming at a higher pleasure, a higher happiness, a happiness that comes through the, the renunciation of sensuality and the mind gathering its energy internally. You see, as you practice mindfulness on an object, develop the calm, and you start reflecting on that. In the mind, where does it gain its energy from in, in the practice of samadhi? Where does the energy come from? It's from abandoning sensuality. Sensuality, one of the drawbacks of it is it drains the mind of energy, distracts the mind, almost like sucks the the mind's energy out through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, touch, and then through mental proliferation based on ideas, concepts, memories, drains the energy away. As you practice nekama, you're restraining externally your senses and then you restrain internally the mind. Start to refine its awareness down just to be focused on one meditation object. And then it brightens and with that you gain energy. And it's enjoyable in a more subtle, more refined sense. It's a more subtle kind of enjoyment and happiness for the mind, the sukhavetana and the piti that arises through the practice of samadhi. One can only really know it through the practice. One can't describe it very very well to somebody who's never practiced. You describe the piti and sukha based on seclusion, based on guarding the senses, letting go of sensuality externally and then even internally letting go to a a non-practitioner, it sounds 
quite drastic and sounds pretty dry, pretty unenjoyable as an ideal. But of course when you practice it's different. The mind gathering together its energy based on wholesome dhammas, wise reflection, turning away from sensuality, turning towards the dhamma, the dhamma of sati, the dhamma of samadhi, brings up contentment, brings up piti and sukha with it. And then as the the mind tastes this, then it has an understanding of why we practice nekama, the value of it. And the mind becomes stronger. And from this it supports a deepening of wisdom and is insight as well, based on the stillness and the quietness as the mind frees itself from its normal distraction with the senses and with sensuality. So we find if we practice meditation regularly, the mind quietens down regularly, starts to experience a little bit of stillness. We can use that for the basis for wise reflection, for developing insight. We can see the true nature of these candors, and particularly turn to reflect on this body. And the more still the mind is, the more it shows up the body for what it is. It's just a collection of elements, these four elements, and how fragile, how susceptible to degeneration this body is, constantly changing, you know, literally being eroded away by the by the external conditions of life in in the world in samsara, you know, the, the the heat and the cold batter the body, the age process of aging batters the body, the process of just having to eat and drink, digest, send nutrition around the body. It's, it's wearing the body away all the time. The elements get out of balance easily. We get ill just our lifestyle can affect the elements so that we do experience pain, discomfort, organs, dysfunction, different diseases afflict us. You know, this is the nature of a body which only becomes really clear to the mind when it's still and peaceful, when it turns to reflect with wisdom on this. And then you can see the changing nature of perception. You know, perception is how we Say before we practiced, when we were young and healthy, we have delusions, perceptions based on good health and happiness and think that it's all good and this body is something very good and we hardly notice the suffering of a, of a human body because of the delusion of youth and health, good health. And now as we, the mind calms down and we reflect, we can see the, the truth. So our perceptions change. We can see our oh, perception very deluding, very uncertain. Not to be trusted. So there's another basis for nekama, giving up the attachment to perception as a, any kind of a lasting refuge. As a self, because the perceptions are conditioned things based on 
the information the mind gets, it forms perceptions, memories, and often those are incorrect or deluded. You look, can see that with the perceptions about the body, how we used to think it was a source of pleasure and lasting happiness. Now we can see mm, it's a source of suffering. The body is actually a burden. All these candors are a burden, even the subtle mental candors are a burden because they cause us delusion and attachment and they bind us to the world. Our perceptions and our experience of pleasure and pain in these feed our views and opinions about the world. And generally, our perceptions form what is pleasurable must be good and right for us and what is painful is bad and wrong for us. But as we start practicing, we can see, well, sometimes pain is actually necessary to train the mind. So some of the pain of renunciation, discomfort, sometimes putting up with discomfort, going without, isn't necessarily bad. Sometimes it can be quite useful. Some pleasures are not so useful because they cause the mind to become indulgent and lost. So just pleasure and pain... In themselves, we we have to look a bit deep, more deeply with wisdom. We can see how our perceptions change, how our views and opinions, the sankara kanda, change. How uncertain they are, based on our perceptions and how they change. And just the changing perception and view about this body. Whereas once we might have thought, oh, it's a self that we control, it's us, it's me. The immediate identification with the body maybe starts to loosen a little bit with the practice of nekama. Guarding the senses, developing mindfulness, developing samadhi to the point where the mind drops its normal attachment to the body. And when you're peaceful... The mind becomes calm and still, pity and sukha arises. Then the normal agitation of the body subsides and we can take a close look at it in a very neutral, observant way. We can look at every single aspect of this body, every part of the body, see how it is just a conditioned phenomena dependent on food and nutrition, Subject to change, subject to aging, subject to illness and disease, pain, ultimately destined for death, decline, degeneration. We can see that. We can see that the views, the perceptions based on this body are also changeable, uncertain. the very sense objects that feed, a, feed our different views and opinions about this body and about the world are very uncertain. Mm. You know, the eyes are uncertain. Our eyes fade with age. Our eyesight fades. Hearing fades. Sense of smell, touch can change with different conditions. The very senses that 
keep deluding us and they're constantly changing as well we can't even hold on to seeing beautiful forms with the eyes we can't hold on to that for very long even looking at something that may be attractive the mind can switch to hearing or to thinking even in one in a few moments you can see the senses themselves jumping around the mind minds moves from one kind of consciousness to another very unreliable, unpredictable. And the more quiet the mind is, the more it's able to see the truth of the candors, the more unstable they appear. And the more the mind starts to change its perceptions, its views about things. And this is the result of Nekama, practicing Nekama. Mm-hmm. First on the outside and then on the inside. Is giving up this grasping and attachment to experience to the physical body and the, the mental experience based around it. Giving up the identification, the sense of me and mine in it all. As we practice more and more, then this kind of insight becomes clearer to the mind. So the brightness, the power of wholesome dhammas, you know, the, the mind that is trained with mindfulness, and the mind that has faith and confidence in the teachings, the mind that has hiriotapa, sense of shame, fear of wrongdoing, the mind that's trained with uh, metta and karuna and brahma-viharas, the mind that's trained with wisdom, the wholesome dhammas that arise, we can start to have more confidence in them, both in their the effect on the mind, the brightening of the mind, and the peace and the happiness that comes from those wholesome dhammas. And also seeing this is the pathway and the way to develop and bring the mind to more stillness, more quietness. And we can see the separation between the mind, the well-trained mind, and then the body. In the sense that where the, where the Dhamma is that we can really depend on, this comes through the training, through the practice and development of this mind. Bringing it in line with truth. In the body itself and the pleasures of the senses and sensuality are of no real lasting importance or value. They're no real lasting refuge. And from that we can see, well, sangsara is no real refuge. Whereas the Dhamma is. The sila, samadhi, panya, all the wholesome Dhammas we develop arise in the mind, both the effect on the mind and then the liberating the way they liberate the mind from samsara, we start to experience that more, so we trust in the path more as as we practice. More and more clearly it's seen, uh, the way of sensuality, attachment to the body, and the pleasure and pain of this body is not the way to liberation or wisdom. There's that time in the suttas where 
Mahanama asked the Buddha about the fact that he, he was considered to be attained in the Dhamma, but he said he had a problem, he had concern because when walking through the market, he said it's very confusing going into town, into the market. A lot of people hustling and bustling around, animals in those days, lots of animals, ox carts, stray elephants, stray cows. He said very difficult to maintain mindfulness. The tendency is to go towards confusion. He was attained, he's not yet an arahant, so still mental defilement could arise in the mind. He had a concern about this. He asked the Buddha, does this mean if I die at that time when the confusion arises, uh, will I ever be reborn in an un uh, a lower destination, an inferior destination. And the Buddha said, no. He said, the power of the, and the strength of the Dhammas that you have practiced thus far, mm-hmm. the area path, he described it, they, the qualities that bring one to an area, they faith, generosity and learning and wisdom, these kind of internal qualities when practiced regularly over a long period of time they fortify the mind they strengthen the mind brighten the mind because they're all wholesome dhammas so this this will be the important thing when you die said the body when it dies we just it just breaks up made of the four elements it has to break up and degenerate but these wholesome qualities that you've developed over time they these are what stay on when you die and bring the mind to a happy destination you can compare it I think the simile is said imagine somebody has a clay pot full of cooking oil they thrust it down into the ocean and then break it up under the water, break it apart, break the pot apart, or the cooking oil will float up onto the surface of the ocean and just float there. The parts of the pot, the clay pot broken up, the pieces will just drop to the basis, base of the ocean. He said the mind of the practitioner who's trained in these dhammas and trained and developed strong conviction in the Buddha and develop learning and develop wisdom develop develop renunciation and so on these qualities will bring the mind to float upwards as it were go to a happy destination based on the wholesome dhammas And this is what we're developing as we develop Nekama, the path of Nekama. You're developing the mind. And we use the body for Nekama as a vehicle. So we practice sense restraint. We restrain our eyes, our ears, our tongue when we eat and so on. You're using the body, but it's the mind that you're training. You're training to see through the the nature of sensuality, to see the impermanence of sense objects and the pleasure that comes from sense objects, to see the 
the limitations of them, to see the, the danger in attaching to that which is impermanent. This is how we practice. And sometimes we can do it all in one go, we just drop some particular attachment we've seen. So when we come into the monastery and take on the precepts, then we drop much of our extreme sexuality, so we don't have any more sexual behavior. That's one big practice of Nekama. In one go, we're dropping away a huge amount of sensuality. But of course, on a subtle level, we might still have lust arise. So we have to practice to refine our mindfulness and develop a wise attitude to how to deal with a lust or different kinds of sensuality arising in the mind. Keep reflecting on its impermanence, reflecting on the object of our lust to see its unattractive side. And the flip side of lust, say the aversion, the aversion for other people, for ourselves, for situations and experiences. To see the impermanence of that, to see the impermanence of the objects of our aversion. This is Nekama on the inside, just on the most refined level, letting go of the so the memories about past sense contact, the pleasure and pain, and then the reactions to it. That might take more wisdom. We can't just drop it overnight in one go. We can't do that yet. So we have to have a, develop a wise attitude. Just keep working at it. Feeling our way, like Ajahn Chah said, with the, the fisherman with the fish in the water. You know you've got something on the end of the line, but you can't yet reel it in. You just have to keep feeling away under water. You gradually pull your net in or your line in until you've got, got hold of the fish and you can bring it out of the water. You know, we can see intellectually the drawbacks of sensual attachment, the impermanence of it, the unsatisfactory nature of it, and the lack of self in it. But we can't yet experience that with the mind yet. The mind keeps returning to it. So we have to keep training the mind with mindfulness, wise reflection. Stilling the mind with mindfulness, the practice of samadhi. And then reflecting on that. Reflecting on this body, the basis for our attachment. Till the mind is absolutely sure convinced of the Anicca Dukkha Anatta of this body the basis for our sensual attachment and sees the impermanence of these candles all of them based around this body and the sense of self self view once it's convinced then the mind naturally starts to drop things gives them up gives them away as dana gives away sensuality as dana the sensual attachment even lust just give it away as dana not going to take it up anymore. Just the same way you might give away a material possession in dana. You have some item that you want to give away to a friend. Some lay person gives you a nice requisite or some medicine or something and you want to give it away as dana. Once you give it away, that's it. You don't think about it anymore. The job is done. You can think of that act with happiness. You actually get joy from giving away something that could have been useful to you, but you gave it to someone else. 
You can give away sensuality in that way, the refined sensuality in your mind, the the loves and the hates, just give them away and then you have no more involvement with them, that's the end of it. We give it up, give it away. So I'll leave these uh, thoughts with you for your reflection tonight.